Very good evening, my dear brothers and sisters. Please do be seated. And if you would, open up your Bibles again to our epistle reading. That would be really helpful. That was Hebrews chapter 10 on page 1198. Hebrews chapter 10 on page 1198. And we'll be looking at the first 18 verses. So a a few more verses than we're read, uh, but to see the big argument of what's being said here in the book of Hebrews. You also find there's an outline in the middle of your bulletin that you may find helpful or somewhere to write notes. Let's pray. Your word, O God, is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit of joints and marrows and discerning our thoughts and the very intentions of our hearts. And so we pray, Father, that you would work now by your spirit through your word, that you would point us to your son and the wonderful truths we have in him, that you would bring us to love, to faith, to obedience, and to hope. And this we ask through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning, I I know some of you were there, this morning, we had a service of confirmation. Uh, The Archbishop came and we had confirmation candidates who who came forward and and they made a public confession of their faith in Christ and, and the bishop prayed for them that they would persevere in that sure and certain hope to the very end. And so it's actually very fitting that today's epistle, which comes from the letter to the Hebrews, also speaks of a certain hope that we have in Christ. In fact, if you read through the book of Hebrews, you realize that it's very often concerned with helping us understand the certainty of hope in Christ, particularly what he did for us on the cross. Again and again, it takes images from the Old Testament sacrificial system, the the, the animal sacrifices, the temple, the priests, And it uses them as the backdrop to see how Jesus fulfills all those things in a yet greater way. In chapters 8 and 9, which is just before this, we've been seeing how Jesus is the great high priest who ministers in a heavenly temple, a a perfect one, which which the earthly temple is just a, a dim picture of. Yet today we will see that Although he is a high priest, what we are to expect from him is different to what we would expect if he were an earthly high priest in the temple. And the difference has particularly to do with the completedness of his work. Do you see that the earthly high priest, well, he would return again and again, every time, and he would return to offer sacrifices for sins. If you missed one, there would be another if you had more sins, there'd be another, and another, and another. But, but not so with Jesus, the great high priest. For as we we're about to see, when he offered himself as a sacrifice for sin just once, it was such a perfect, complete, all-sufficient sacrifice, it would never need repeating. And that means that when he comes again, he won't be offering another sacrifice for sin He will be saving his people, bringing those who are waiting for him 
to the joys of his kingdom. And this is exactly where the previous chapter ended. Have a look with me. This is chapter 9 and verse, verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And that's where we start our passage today with chapter 10 and verse 1. And it starts with this word for, which is to say that what we're seeing here is the reasoning for what he has just said. Why is it then that we can be sure that when he comes a second time, it's not again to deal with sin, but to save those who are waiting for him? First, we can be sure. Because the sacrificial law, the temple and the animals, was just a picture of the great sacrifice of Christ to come. What do I mean? Think of it like this. When I was growing up, I was a member of a not very secret organization. I was a boy scout. We did all kinds of things during the year. Wonderful. But one thing we did every single year is we had to do training in CPR, training in how to resuscitate those who have stopped breathing and the like with um, compressions and mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and things. And the way it worked was once a year they would bring out this, this rubber and plastic dummy. She was called Resussy Annie for some reason. And, and we'd resuscitate her again and again and again. Every single person in turn would resuscitate this dummy. Yet no matter how many times she's resuscitated, not only does she still go back into the box as dead as she came out. But next year, she's going to have to be resuscitated again and again and again. But actually, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? Because that's the whole point of the model. The model there exists to teach, to prepare, so that when the real thing comes, when you encounter a real person who does need resuscitation, you know what's happening and you know how to do it. And in a very similar way, The Old Testament sacrifices in the temple, they are a picture, a shadow, a model of the true sacrifice of Christ which would follow. A very important model by which we understand the need, the necessity for the sacrifice of Christ. But still a model and not the reality. As verse 1 says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And the biggest proof of the fact that it was always a model is the fact that they have to be repeated again and again. Again and again, the people have to come and acknowledge their sins and then come back again. Next year, still sinners acknowledging their sins. The model was never able to fix the problem of sinful people, was it? As verse 2 asks, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having been once cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. And indeed, if, if we think about what's happening there, it should be obvious that they can't take away sins. If we think about what is being offered there, the blood of bulls, of goats, will that atone for the sin of mankind against holy God? Six pints of ox blood, a couple of pints of sprinkled goat blood is going to take away your sins forever and reconcile you to your creator? 
F.F. Bruce puts it so beautifully. He says, moral defilement cannot be removed by material means. The temple is a wonderful picture of what will be required to take away sins, but as verse 4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, what did Jesus do when he came into the world to save us? Did he use the model? Did he go into the temple and offer up bulls and goats to take away the sins of the world? Of course he didn't. He who understood what was written in the scriptures, understood that God's justice requires true atonement for sins. It requires a willing, reasoning sacrifice of man to save man from his willing and deliberate sin against God. It requires a sacrifice for which Jesus, God from all eternity, has become man. That as man, he might save man. Incidentally, that's why the lectionary gives us this reading today for St. Mary's Day, because it is through Mary that Jesus is made man. As verse 5 says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have, have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now these words in the first instance are King David's words. They come from Psalm 40. But here... King David speaks not merely of himself, but also of the Christ that is yet to come, of of King David's greater son. And I think we understand them best when we see that here we have two phrases in parallel, where it says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. It is in parallel with, in burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. That is to say, When Christ comes into the world, he knows that the justice and wrath of God is not satisfied by the blood of bulls and goats. He knows that's the model, not the solution. And then when it says, a body you have prepared for me, we read that with, and behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, which is to say, God has given to his eternal son He's prepared him a human body, a body of flesh, in order that he might do what is written in the scroll of the book, in order that he might fulfill the sacrifices that the law required, the reality to their shadow, the perfect image they had imperfectly shown, that he, that, that as God, in great love for us, he will become that perfect sacrifice that really does take away sin. What are the implications of that? Well, first it means that the model, the temple, the animal sacrifices, the priests, you don't need the model anymore. Once you've got the once and for all reality, you don't need the shadows anymore, do you? As verse 8 says, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. But secondly, and even more importantly, it means that 
In Jesus, we do have that true, effective sacrifice that really does make us right, really does deal with with all our sin and make us holy forever before our blessed God. A sacrifice, do you see, so perfect and effective that it would never need to be repeated again. It is offered once and for all, as verse 10 says, and by that will. We have been sanctified through the body, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Are we not here, perhaps standing on holy ground? Could, could there be anything, dear brothers and sisters, anything more sacred or glorious or, or holy or amazing or, or wonderful or breathtakingly assuring than that which we have just said? That we have been sanctified through the body of Christ once for all. When you think, perhaps, of that day when you, like all of us, must stand before the mighty throne of God, do do you have a twinge of of worry as, as you desperately hope to be able to make some kind of sacrifices for your sins? Do you sometimes fear, panic, but, but because you feel the need to somehow atone for what you've done in the body? Are you worried about what, what it would take for the Lord to accept you despite all your transgressions, all the evil your heart has thought and your hand has done? If you can ever really be accepted, if you do so worry, then rest. Rest here in the death of Christ once for all. If you believe in him, if you have faith in his name, then he has already made for you the offering of his own body through the death and agony of the cross, the one perfect and sufficient sacrifice for your sins once and for all. You stand in him completely blessed, washed clean of sin, sanctified holy and right with him now and on the last day. For all that the law has pictured about sins being taken away, Christ has completely and perfectly forever fulfilled on the cross. My dear brothers and sisters, whether it is the first time that we've understood this or it is a truth that has long been dear to our hearts, I think we should give thanks to God for it, shouldn't we? Let's pray. Merciful God, loving and gracious, wonderful God, we cannot but thank you for giving your son to become man, that as man he would be that perfect sacrifice you desire. Thank you, God, for his love, for his sacrifice by which we are sanctified once and for all. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you that it is Not all that he assures us with here. Let me tell you that on top of that one perfect, complete sacrifice for the sins of the world, he tells us something even more important. He tells us that we also have in Jesus a high priest who has completely offered that one perfect sacrifice. Unlike the priests under the law, the priests in the model, who who again and again stand offering that sacrifice over and over again, Jesus 
Jesus is a priest who, having completely offered the perfect sacrifice, now sits down at the right hand of the Father, as Psalm 110 promised. His sacrificial work, unlike theirs, is done, finished forever. Verses 11 to 13. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time when his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And do you see what that means? It means that not only is the sacrifice perfect, but its offering is too. It's finished. Now, I know that there are some, thankfully not Anglicans, there are some who like to imagine that somehow we can be offering up Jesus again at the communion table. They they imagine we're we're somehow able to participate in, in an ongoing sacrifice of Jesus for our sins, as if, as if we do not already have the fullness of his sacrifice. But let me tell you that not only does that make it utter nonsense of the idea that the communion table is a supper, not a sacrifice, but our scripture today makes it very clear that such a thing is impossible. Not only is Jesus a perfect sacrifice, but he has been perfectly, completely offered And as priest, he sat down, he's finished. He's not offering himself anymore. It is done. So don't let anyone try to tell you otherwise. Verse 14, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Finally, as a crowning glory of our text, he takes us back to God's wonderful promises through the prophet Jeremiah. As he says that this thing that he has been saying, this wonderful state of blessedness of God's covenant people, sins forgiven forever, is exactly what God had promised. Nothing else. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. As application, I'd like to give us three things that all that we've seen today should mean for us. First of all, it means that you cannot offer sacrifice for your sin. Doesn't matter what the sin doesn't matter what you want to sacrifice doesn't matter what you think you might be able to do or have to do to make things right with God he will not accept it there is only one sacrifice that God desires and that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ his son offered once and for all trust in that sacrifice that does atone for your sin and seek no other Secondly, it means that if you do realize today that you, you're trusting in something else than Jesus and his one sacrifice for sin, then if you're hoping something else might save you for all eternity, then you're trusting in something that will not save you. Perhaps you're trusting in some other God or, 
or some kind of practices you might be doing, or, or, or perhaps in your own good works, however pious they may be. If that is so, you must abandon those hope to find a sure and living hope in the one sacrifice of Christ once and for all. And if you don't, do you see? He's not coming back as if he were again to be sacrificed for your sins. He will come back. But he will come back to bring those who are eagerly awaiting his eternal salvation. And finally, it means that if you know today that you do belong to Christ, if you have faith in his name, if you are eagerly awaiting him, then you can have boldness and confidence now to draw near to him. You can call upon him and be sure he hears you and will give you the mercy he promises in his word. You know if you belong to him now, you are sanctified. You are perfected by his one offering. And you can be certain. You can be certain that when he does come back, on the day he comes to save you, you will be able to stand in his presence and live in the joys of his kingdom forever. As the wonderful hymn puts it, before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Because the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, We cannot but praise you and thank you for such amazing mercy and love and grace for us sinners. That you gave your son, divine from all eternity, a human body that he might suffer the perfect sacrifice for our sins. We thank you that in love he gave himself to the suffering and death of the cross once and for all that we might be saved forever. So we pray you will strengthen us in that faith. Draw us close to him in trust in his death on the cross. Help us to trust nothing else and fill us with the confident joy of your salvation. And this we ask in his name. Amen.